Hi, this is Jackie Stavros, co-author of Conversations Worth Having, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel, one of the best things you'll be listening to today. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Jackie Stravos. Jackie's passion is working with others to discover their strengths, identify opportunities, and create a plan with meaningful results for positive change. She's a faculty member at Lawrence Technical University College of Management in Southfield, Michigan, and she also consults to businesses. Jackie's co-authored many books, book chapters, and articles on appreciative inquiry, and she's here today to talk about her book, Conversations Worth Having. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you, Bill. Jackie, one question I'd like to ask people who are high achievers, is when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Oh, well, that's easy. It was my father. He's no longer here with us, but it definitely was my dad. Tell me why. What was one thing that he did that made you think of him? Because my dad always treated all four of his kids equally, loved us unconditionally, and no matter how tough it was, he always looked for the best. What's an example of that? When there was hardship in the family, when he would look for the best? Well, I remember when I told my dad I wanted to go to college and he informed me that he would let me live at home and not pay rent. And that's how he could support me going to college. And I remember us talking about, I said, well, how am I going to get myself through college? And, and we had a really wonderful conversation where my dad was really honest. He was like, you know, you're a good swimmer, but not good enough to get that scholarship for swimming. And he said, but you're good enough to teach swimming. And I bet you, you can work at the YMCA and think of, and you're good at studying and maybe you'll get a merit scholarship. So he was always meeting me where I was, but always kind of flipping it to what was possible and what was like the best version of Jackie. That's really neat where he actually engaged you and collaborated with the problem solving. Yes, he, he really did. And he helped me figure out how to get to college and, and what him as my mother could do for us. When you think of the kind of energy and approach he brought to conversations, how does that impact your life today? What's kind of a lesson or a way that you've carried that on in your interactions, either with your students or your clients or your family? You know, my dad had this saying, and I think it's been around a long time, he would remind me that um, my dad would say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And his tone, and, and my dad didn't have a college education, and his tone was always appreciative. And he was always curious and helping me to see what was possible or what I couldn't see. And I saw him that way, no matter um, who he had to deal with in life. That's so nice. I love hearing that story. And it probably was kind of a familiar place then when you discovered Appreciative Inquiry. What is Appreciative Inquiry? And tell me a little bit about how you got in introduced to it. It came natural to me. So when I was introduced to Appreciative Inquiry, it was a actually a qualitative research technique. And it was a technique that um, David Cooper, writer, one of the co-creators, would say, you know, there are no neutral questions. And when you ask a question about how is communication in your organization, you don't know if people will go positive or negative. And what you need to do is think more about 
tell me about a time when communication worked well, or tell me what strong communication looks like. So appreciative inquiry is literally discovering the best in people, a topic or a team or a situation so that you kind of like lean in, get engaged, and the conversations are more meaningful and productive. So I was introduced to it when it was a qualitative research technique at the time, and now it's being used in hundreds of thousands of organizations all over the world to foster um, change and innovation and, and movement forward. It's essentially a perspective, and it's something that is so flexible and useful. It's being used as a change management tool. Give me an example as to way that you've either observed this or facilitated change management using appreciative inquiry. Wow, that's a great question, Bill. And I probably one of the um, ones that are near and dear to my heart was many, many years after I learned and had been working with appreciative inquiry, I was put on a project to help close a manufacturing plant down in Midwest, in the Midwest of Michigan. And I knew what I was driving into. I knew that I was going to be working with people at the plant and we were going to come up with a plan to phase the plan out in three years. So the bad news is you were going to lose your job. The good news is, you know, we've got some time and we're going to figure out a plan that does the least damage to the city that the plant was in. And I would say on my drive to, it was about a two hour drive to this place. You know, I thought about the problem and how I was going to frame it. And I did not feel very welcomed, but I think my presence was more welcome than the situation. And I had about 150 people in the room and we had two days to work with the people involved in the plant. This was a representation of the 400 people in this plant. And I just threw out an idea and I said, what if we came up with a revitalization list? And they kind of looked at me and argued and said, look, plants are shut down, plants stay open. What the heck is a revitalization list? I said, I don't know. But what if we agree to create this revitalization list, knowing that if it doesn't work in 14 to 15 months, we'll just lose our job in two years instead of three years. And, you know, it took them a couple hours to warm up to the idea and we named it. We talked about it. And they said, what do we have to lose? And I will tell you that I worked with the people in the plant for two days. They proposed the revitalization list. They came up with the initiatives of what needed to be done. They came up with the results that they were going to look for. And they said, and if this doesn't work after 14 months, we'll begin shutdown. And they even came in with some people who wanted to retire earlier. And this was in 2007. And the plant has never shut down, Bill. Wow, that's a happy ending. Yeah. And, and they did it themselves. And and we stayed within the parameters of what I was tasked to do when I arrived that Monday. It was July 5th. I remember that day. <laughs> day after Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When you went down there, you were fully expecting the plant would close in two to three years. And what do you attribute the fact that they stayed open to? Was it that they showed that they could be more vital and valuable than others had anticipated? Did they discover new ways of interacting or providing value in the um, supply chain? What was it that actually surfaced from taking that different approach? I think that I would say all the above to what you said, but I think what they ended up doing is they realized that appreciative inquiry is talking about what we want and deepening understanding and trying to figure out a strategy to keep the plant open with a promise to um, adhere to what the holding company want if they couldn't perform. And I think they took the opportunity into their own hands. And I was just the facilitator 
for the day and a half that was left to come up with the plan. And they knew and they knew their plan best. And I, I think a lot of people listening now are really curious as to what a plant could do to avert a shutdown just by asking different questions. Can you give us a little bit more insight into some of the directions that their decisions took or what revitalization presented to convince management to keep it open? We actually started by discovering the strengths of the plant as a whole and the strengths of each part of the plant. And then that was continuity. And then the novelty was about what newness we could bring in and how to work as a whole system in the plant. And a lot of times um, shutdowns in plants are based on metrics and reports that nobody, nobody asked the people operating in the plant what was possible. But they told the people what was wrong and what the stats were. So they literally, naming the positive opposite was very interesting, is well, we want the plant to be revitalized. But then we began to ask, what does a revitalization plant look like? And when we began to look at the um, topics of a revitalization plant, then we took a deeper dive into designing these initiatives that could revitalize the plant and began to look at the capabilities of not only the plant, the areas within the plant, but the capabilities of the people. And they began to design a strategy and a way forward. And they agreed that they would still end the plant at the same point that the holding company had originally asked for if things did not work out. I think that that presents a really fair agreement that's different than what the management was expecting, yet it brought out a lot of energy and a creativity from the participants towards something that was risky. There was a risk. There was no guarantee it would go that way, but it actually did turn out in a positive direction, making it a big success. They did. And they actually established group norms at the onset of the strategy. And and I got to tell you, there were people that didn't have the energy to want to move forward. And these were people that were still willing to walk away at, at this point, but almost two thirds of the plant wanted to continue. The employees wanted to continue in the plant. And how many people does that represent? So if I, if I recall, there was like 440 people um, at the plant at the time. And I want to say it felt like hundreds. So there must've been 300 people that wanted to move forward with the plant. So something that a lot of people who have never heard of appreciative inquiry before are wondering is how do you get started with it? What's the basic way to kind of get your arms around it? And there's a 5D model. Can we talk through that? Absolutely. So, you know, appreciative inquiry involves the way you ask questions and generative questions are questions that you are naturally curious about that are innovative in style and in the, the methodology the 5d cycle that you just mentioned is when you're pulling a team together imagine how do you pull a team of 50 100 and in this case there were 300 people into a conversation the positive framing starts in the in what we call the define stage what the task was so i knew and so did John, the plant manager, I knew what the task was. And on Sunday night, when I was at John's house, I said, well, what if we threw this idea at them, which was a revitalization list? So when we got into the um, next morning, we took them through the five, the four Ds. So it was discover, dream, design, and deploy. And discover is coming at 
I talked about the strengths. When you bring out the strengths, when you and I have a conversation of strengths, you're opening the mind to connect and the energy just changed in the room to discovering the best of this plant, the people, the division. So when I naturally put them into the dream stage and I said, what does the revitalization plant look like? They were put into 30 different teams to show quickly 30 different dreams that at the end of that first day, because I had a day and a half with them, the next morning we worked with the design and we went into design teams of what this revitalization plant would look like. And so we spent the morning on day two designing the changes that would have to happen, the people that would stay. There were people who wanted to leave. And then in the afternoon, we did what's called deploy. Sometimes it's called deliver. And then we came up with the very specific action steps of what would happen in one year, six months, 90 days, and right now, and who is needed. So at the end of the day and a half, it's almost two days, they had gone through discover, dream, design, and deploy, and they were moving forward based on their conversations. And so we did submit a plan to the holding company, and it did have how they could phase it out in two years, the last two years, but how they wanted one more chance for about 14 months. And what was the response of the holding company managers when they saw something that they weren't expecting? Because I'm sure that was a little bit of a surprise. So the plant manager presented that to them and they actually came down. They, they came from the Rhode Island area to Michigan to look at this. And they said, we never would have thought of this logistic plan, how you divided this up. And you guys have to realize that if you don't hit these metrics, we're going to have to execute shutdown of the plant. And the room was buzzing. People were excited when they were back in there and they were given a chance. And the plant, it never shut down because the people in the plant designed the structures, the processes, the workflows, the policies. They did take the best of what is in the past, but they came up with new ideas and they were starting to learn things about today, which we know as lean principles, um, what could be. And they found a way forward and out of this mess. So this is something that I think a lot of people who are listening, who are in day-to-day management positions and small businesses are saying, I'd love to unleash this type of energy and creativity and commitment and engagement on my team. And where would someone who's a manager in a small business start by saying to people, let's start asking different questions? Because this doesn't have to be part of an intervention when something is in a crisis cycle, does it? It could be part of the culture. Exactly. And, you know, I've worked with organizations that weren't in crisis. And sometimes I'll get a call from a person who says, I've just gotten a new job and I'm going to have to lead this team of 100 and 150 people. Where do I start, Jackie? And a lot of times I would say it starts one conversation at a time. And, you know, what if you started when you meet either your senior team or you start talking to the employees and you ask them about a high point experience working as a team in this organization or a time they were most alive and engaged in their work. And then and the, the conversation can unfold in the questions. These are like the classic AI types of questions can be, you know, so tell me, Bill, what do you value about yourself and your colleagues in this organization? Why did you come here? And What is the core factors that are the success to this unit? So these are generative questions that I am being very inquisitive to you, but I'm genuinely curious about this. And I want to realize that 
our next moment will be designed based on the conversation you and I are having together. I think that's exciting. And I, I wonder if a lot of people who hear this for the first time are thinking this is something that they can do. They could come up with these generative questions, start using the starting point that you described and reading the books that you recommend in order to come up with these questions. What are some attributes of people who succeed more often if they have these types of qualities or they make these types of commitments when beginning to introduce AI into their business culture? I'd first point out that a generative question is one that you and I don't have the answer to, and that a generative question is something that I am curious about knowing. And the the results that are behind asking these questions and what it, the energy it creates, but also the, the movement it creates, is that the workplaces are more productive, more engaged. There's a culture of um, excellence versus perfection. So excellence is more motivating, is more motivating for people so that these organizations, people know what do you want more of instead of what you don't want. And there's a deeper understanding of situations and the increased possibilities. So I guess I would say bottom line, you can um, expand creativity. That's what happened at the plant. You can improve productivity and you just unleash a lot of possibility. Let me back up. The question I wanted to find out your perspective on is what are some of the starting points of the person asking these questions that's helpful in genuinely asking in a way that's open to hearing answers that they don't know. Many times managers think that they have to have all the answers. So this is a pretty big shift, Jackie, isn't it? Yeah, you don't have to. You have to know how to ask a question. So I think a question would be is when you walk in on a situation and you want to ask a generative question is, and you're in a meeting, I think one of the things would be asking people, so tell me, Bill, what do you think? And you make sure that all perspectives are brought in. But not only do I want to know what you're thinking, is I really want to understand what's possible and what your wishes are. Jackie, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? Yes, let's do all it. All right. Think of the way that you start your day generally. And what are one or two elements that are an essential part of your morning routine to get yourself ready for a highly productive and engaging day? My morning routine involves literally thinking what is possible today. It's what's possible. What are the things I want to get done? And most important as I go through my day is how can I help you and what are your wishes? No matter if I'm in charge of you or working with you. And if you think back over the last six months or so, what's one of the easiest or least expensive changes you made in your personal or professional life that's had the biggest payoff? I would say it's um, called priming the brain. And if, imagine, do you know, you know who Curious George is? The monkey, yes. Yes. So think of that monkey in your mind. And um, Sherry and I talk a lot about Curious George. And we have this picture of Curious George, if the listeners can imagine Curious George. And the biggest thing that no matter how bad things could be, or if I'm stuck, is just to take a moment to pause, breathe, and kind of get curious about either what's holding me back or what do I need to move me forward? So it's the act of just taking a pause before I step into my day, taking a big breath, and then getting curious. And what would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? 
I would say something that I rarely do is I rarely complain. And that's because I think of Curious George and practice the pause, the breathing and and moving forward. That's a nice image. (laughs) So with all of the students who have come through and the business leaders you've worked with, what are one or two misconceptions that many people have about using appreciative inquiry? They think appreciative inquiry is just about being positive. And usually what I do with my colleagues or my students or my clients is I usually do the positivity investment and I make them each give me a dollar. And then I tell them if in 48 hours they've remained unconditionally positive in their thoughts, words, and actions, I'll give them $10 in 48 hours. And I rarely have to give somebody a $10 bill because appreciative inquiry is really about generative questions and thinking from a different or a new perspective and changing the way people think and act. And I don't totally keep their dollars. I usually give them a gold dollar back and have them realize that appreciative inquiry is is more than just about being positive. See, my next question was going to be, where did you go on vacation (laughs) with all those dollars? (laughs) Now I get in trouble, but um, I have lots of gold coins and I tell them that this is real money and they can spend it at, at a coffee place or they can keep it as a reminder that positivity is important and it does help, but it's not the only thing. And are there any situations where having a new perspective using appreciative inquiry wouldn't be the most advised approach? I think it works just about anywhere, anytime, any place, and we write a whole chapter. But I do think in the last 25 years that I've been working with appreciative inquiry, from a business perspective, that if you do not believe that the answers are in the conversations and you don't trust your people and think that they can come up with the answers through a conversation, then this is not a productive process for you. There's other there's, you know, 60 different change techniques out there. So you have to be, again, the, the pausing, the breathing, and the getting curious. You've got to realize that um, organizations flounder or flourish one conversation at a time. And if I don't trust you and your people, I don't think this is a highly productive process. So something that occurs to me is that a lot of times – the more that you have this as part of your culture, and you have some wonderful ratios in your book about the differences in the kinds of positive comments people make who are in a, a high-performing organization versus a low-performing organization. And it's just really interesting to note those differences. I think a lot of times, though, it's important to know that sometimes you need to stop a behavior. I've been in work environments, working for both Apple and the Wharton School, where we've been taught it's, it's vital to make sure you're always protecting the brand, both in print, online, in person, and in your conversations, in your publications, all of these aspects. And if somebody made an error in that respect, it would be necessary to take them aside and say, oh, look, for instance, the Apple logo never should be on any other type of patterned background. It's, it's just a very simple example. But you need to have something that's not a generative conversation. You need to correct course. And it doesn't mean that I don't like the person. It just means that if I had to give them that feedback, it's for the betterment of our mutual commitment to further the brand of the organization, to to help it be successful. What would you add from your perspective? Well, I would say that there's going to be, that's a very focused situation, or there's going to be a situation or interaction And it's just a deeper understanding. So now when you explain to me why the Apple brand has to be that way, then I think that's fine. It's it's also about um, conversations that deepen understanding as to why something is the way it is. And that's why it's more than just the positive. 
I love that we added that piece in because that really completes the picture of appreciative inquiry being a powerful tool for deepening understanding in addition to generative thinking. So, Jackie, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today on my quest for the best. I'm going to highlight some of the key points that I heard that really came about. And I want to make sure that they don't go unnoticed by the people listening to this episode. So, for instance, with your father being the person you thought of when I asked who inspired and influenced you, having that role model and the many examples of the conversations, I think, had a a deeply um, impactful and positive influence in your life that I think still comes out today in the way that you approach conversations of all types. I think that we saw that your fortuitous introduction with David Cooperwriter helped you understand the structure and the power of appreciative inquiry, even as it was being you know, first introduced and developed over time. The change example about the management plant was terrific because you really got into some of the questions and anxieties that the people were facing, yet you went in with clarity and helped them open up their thinking to what else could be possible. And it led to a a very positive outcome by following that define, discover, dream, design, and deploy cycle. You talked about how AI is really part of the culture and it happens one conversation at a time. And I think if people take that away and re-examine the conversations they're having and make plans like you do at the beginning of the day, thinking what's possible today and how can you help someone, I think that they'll start to introduce this in a very tangible way into their organizations. So for these reasons and so many more, Jackie, thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. And the quest for the best is what Appreciative Inquiry is all about. It's searching for the best. Jackie, before you say we say goodbye here, um, for now, where is it that we could find more about the work that you do online and more about Appreciative Inquiry? Sherry Torres and I have a website for the book. It's um, www.conversationsworthhaving.com today. Thanks again so much. Thank you, Bill. You are amazing. You're so easy to talk to or talk with or have a conversation with. (laughs) Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.